You're listening to PROX. You had you played a big role in proximity launching in, in terms of you sitting down with, with me and Zizzy, kind of making us do this. I had a vision and an idea. I saw, I could clearly see from the first time, that very first meeting that we had in our office. I, I remember telling other people this, and I still do, that I believed that you were going to be one of the most important storytellers and filmmakers of our generation. And this was before you made Fruitvale Station. And this is definitely before you made Creed. And I remember thinking I should have bought stock in Disney when that day you called me and you said, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm thinking about making Black Panther. You're listening to In Proximity. Charles D. King is the founder and CEO of Macro, a multi-platform media company representing the voice and perspectives of Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. The company includes a film and TV studio, talent and content creator representation divisions, a branding and creative agency, and an affiliated venture firm. Some of the projects they've co-financed include Mudbound, Fences, Just Mercy, Sorry to Bother You, Raising Dion, Hentified, and Judas and the Black Messiah, produced with Proximity Media and Warner Brothers. But before all this, Charles was a partner and senior agent at William Morris Endeavor. He was the first Black partner in the company's 100-plus year history and the first ever Black partner at any major talent agency. In 2021, when Judas and the Black Messiah was nominated for Best Picture, Charles became part of the first-ever all-Black team of producers nominated for an Academy Award alongside director Shaka King and Proximity founder Ryan Coogler. The team worked closely with an esteemed group of Black creatives, activists, and executives, including Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. and Nigel Kirkendall, a film executive currently at Netflix, but at the time served as senior vice president of production at Warner Brothers. Charles and Ryan talk about the making of Judas and the Black Messiah and how they first met just as they were laying the foundations for macro and proximity. Hello, this is Charles D. King. I'm the founder and CEO of Macro. Hey, what's going on? This is Ryan Coogler. I'm a writer, director, producer, and one of the founders of Proximity Media. And uh, just jumping right in, Charles, we've known each other for a little over 10 years, I want to say. And, and when I first met you, I, I, was, I was in your office, very nice office in, in Beverly Hills at WME. And you were a talented and lit agent. And we talked and, and I, was, I was trying to figure out whether or not to sign with WME as a um, representative agency. I'd already met with Craig Castell at Sundance, and he he sent me to go meet with you so I could make my decision. You was kind of like a closer that way. You know, do you remember that day? <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday, Ryan. And uh, I remember literally you sitting on the couch, that white leather couch in my office. I remember when Craig told me about you in our staff meeting, and he told me about Fruitvale Station. And I remember we met, it must have been a, at least a two-hour meeting, and uh, it was one of the most powerful conversations I've had since I've been in the industry. Oh man. Yeah, it was like a kind of brotherhood connection that happened in that room that was very 
uh, refreshing and unique. And um, I absolutely remember that day. That meeting was one of the more seminal moments. It was the first time I shared certain aspects of my life and interest outside of just entertainment with anyone in our industry, including my interest around activism and community and some of the experiences that I had had as a young black man growing up. And that's where I so identified with your film, Fruitvale Station, with the script and your vision for what you were looking to do by telling Oscar Grant's story. And then I could tell from that meeting too what you were looking to do to use your voice as a storyteller to lift community and bring people together and entertain. And I remember when you first pitched the story, this father-son story that would be used and set within the Rocky universe. And you, I remember you literally pitched Creed to me there because I asked you, what else do you have? And then I said, well, by the way, funny enough, the guy down the hall represents Sylvester Stallone and we could introduce you. And um, it was just uh, one of those magical conversations and moments. And so I knew then that you were destined for greatness with your storytelling and how you were gonna use your voice. I, I remember having a feeling that you weren't gonna be an agent for that much longer. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that much about the industry, but I, I was like, man, this dude seems like, you felt bigger than the job you had, you know? So I kinda, I kinda figured it was a matter of time before you transitioned to doing something else. And that's something else ended up becoming launching macro. For folks listening, we got folks listening from all walks of life, you know, like what, what does an agent do? If you were to like put it in a couple of sentences, I know it's difficult, but, but just, <laughs> just to, to, to paint, to, you know, to paint a picture for folks, you know what I'm saying, like, yeah. of what you were doing before macro. First off, for those that are, that are not in the uh, entertainment industry or those that aspire to be, the talent agency world has been at, for over 120 years, they're at the epicenter of our industry in terms of the center of the spoke of a wheel, uh, where they're interfacing with all the studios, managers, production companies, publicists, the financiers. They're so connected to the artists and are really, they're the artist advocates that find the opportunities, the scripts, the material. They help to introduce the artists to the marketplace, negotiate their deals, work in conjunction with their attorneys and their managers to forge their careers and to build their businesses. And uh, so I was very blessed to be the first black partner in the history of Hollywood at any one of the major talent agencies and spent over 17 years at the William Morris and William Morris Endeavor in the agency world. And so that was my career path. And I did that for many years and loved doing it before launching Macro. I'm just realizing before getting into Macro, like just, just give us a snapshot of like what your career was like as an agent. You know, who are some of the folks that you represented during your tenure at both William Morris and at WME? Yeah, I was very fortunate and blessed to represent and work with some of the most talented and inspiring artists, multi-hyphenates, filmmakers, musicians, uh, and moguls in our industry. Uh, I was blessed to work with filmmakers like Tim Story, you know, put him in the barbershop. I mean, made that deal for him my first year as an agent uh, to filmmakers like Lee Daniels or M. Night Shyamalan and musician multi-hyphenates like Andre Benjamin, Prince and Janet Jackson, um, Tyrese and many others. And, uh, and actors like Michael Ealy or Terrence Howard and many others. You're leaving a big one off. You worked with Oprah for a little bit too, right? Blessed to, to also <laughs> work with, with Oprah and her company as uh, she was really building out 
further building out Harpo and using her voice as, as a producer. And so it was really uh, the point person for her film business while I was there too, during my last couple of years at the agency. And, and, and what's like your basic nine to five as an agent? I know it can vary, you know, mm-hmm. but, but but to paint a picture for folks, what's a day as an agent? In, in, First off, there's in, no in such thing as a nine to five in the world of a talent agent. Okay. <laughs> it's more like uh, six in the morning to midnight or one in the morning. Like it, it, and sometimes around the clock, your world between work and personal life almost blurs together because so much of our industry is also not only reading material and being on phone calls, in meetings, visiting sets, being on sets, but it's also the cultivation and building of relationships and socializing and being at functions and screenings and watching and reading material. And then there's a six o'clock, seven o'clock dinner with two colleagues, or there's a premiere and you go to the premiere and there's the after party. And then after that, you go home and you read a script at night. Yeah, so that's a, <laughs> that's an average day. <laughs> Man, that sound, that, that, that sound, Every that day sound, is different. That, 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 that sound both exhilarating and, and exhausting. Um, yeah. but, 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 <laughs> and it was 17 years of, of, of that. Absolutely. And every day is different. When we met, I already had my business plan written and I was in a phase of my career where I was really looking to support other colleagues like our friend, your agent, Craig Castell, and mentor and be supportive of their growth as well as helping them and working with other amazing filmmakers and artists from within the walls of the talent agency world, but ultimately knew that there was an opportunity for me to do something far greater for the community in launching and building a media company like the one that we launched eight years ago at Macro. You know, you're a partner now at this point, it sounds like, you know, with massive clients at a massive agency and, and you got to let folks know I'm transitioning to start something new. T- take me to that. Take mm. me to that point. Like, when did you know it was time? Wow. I'll tell you, while at Howard Ward Law, when I graduated in my commemoration book where they asked every graduate, what is your plan? What will you be doing in 10 years? In that commemoration book, I said, in 10 years, I'm going to be at the helm of a diversified entertainment and media company. Wow. So that was, I graduated from Howard Law in 96. I moved to LA a year later, landed in the William Morris mailroom. So say 10 years after that, it was 2006. I was a very successful agent with a you know, multi-million dollar business practice. I was doing well. I had gone from mailroom to being a multimillionaire. And I was still antsy because I knew there was something bigger for me. And it wasn't until 2009 when William Morris merged with Endeavor. And there was so much chaos that went on through the year of the merger. And I had cultivated and had such a great hockey stick trajectory. It was the first time in my career that I lost a couple of clients. There was just a lot of upheaval and things that happened. 
And I spent a year playing defense, trying to just make sure I didn't get picked apart and adjusting to this new, the new company that had now merged. And I think it was on Christmas day of that year when I was still putting out a fire of some issues as a result of this merger, I knew for then that I was not going to continue being in that type of position again. <laughs> and that was, and so then it became, how am I going to transition? And then it was this following years when I started writing the business plan for what has now become macro. And it wasn't until a few years after that, that I had the conversations internally with the parties that ran WME to let them know, hey, look, I'm going to one day go launch and build a company like the one we're building now. And I told them about it and shared the information and said, I'm going to do it. And so once, you know, I, I said, look, I'd like you guys black and I'm going to go and do this. And, um, and the rest was history. I, I remember that day like it was yesterday as well. But the light bulb of like, I'm absolutely going to leave. There's a bigger play for me. I'm going to leave and I'm going to launch a company like Macro was, was Christmas Day of 2009. Christmas Day of 2009. And, you, right. and, and, and it was and it was that vulnerability juxtaposed with your family. Yeah. Well, there were several things. There was recognizing that there was a more empowered position for me to use my experience and my skills to uplift culture and to make a difference and to build a company that I knew would inspire and transcend and make an impact in our industry. And it was also making sure that I personally and my family would never be in a position to be subjected to some of the experiences that I was having through that year of the merger, where there were things that were outside of my personal control. And I recognized that I would never want to put myself or my family in that position again, and that there was a more impactful and empowered way for me to live my life and also for me to live and build in a way that would also help others and it could change the paradigm. And it's really been blessing to see a lot of that shift take place once I took that leap of faith, because I knew that there was a need to show other people that what I'm doing and building with Macro, that it's possible. Because what I experienced through that year was there were not enough of us, whether you were a young filmmaker, whether you were someone sitting in Decatur, Georgia, or whether you were a very successful artists or mogul, there weren't enough of them that recognized the power that we have. And I recognized that I needed to be able to do it for myself and my family, but also a larger community to show what was possible. And that's amazing, man. And, and did you feel like your time, you know, 17 years in the center of the, of the spark, that is the wheel of the entertainment industry, did you feel like that was, that was valuable? Like that was a great time spent? Do you feel like you still use the skills that you built over that time today? It's not possible to, to duplicate those 17 years of experience. One, the experience, putting out 100 fires a day, all of the relationships, the thousands of relationships, my natural connectivity with so many people, with so many artists, with so many executives and producers and people that I came up with in the industry, the amount of scripts that I read, the number of movies, the events, just the thousands of phone calls and negotiation of deals, the, the trends and patterns of business, 
the experience was invaluable. So uniquely positioned me to do what I'm doing now. And having an African-American who up to that point, there'd never been someone from our community to be at the highest levels of this world, which is a world that has now opened up slightly since that time that I was in there. But I was in uncharted territory during my time in the agency world. So yes, that 17 years of experience was incredibly valuable. And I hear you talking about business plan. And just out of curiosity, like, it's going to sound ridiculous, maybe, but I'm just thinking about folks who are listening. Like, like what is a business plan? What, what kind of things should a business plan have in it? Like, what were you, what were you working on? Because I remember you were talking about working on it for a long time. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, for anyone listening, whether you're a young person or an older person, there's real power in taking your ideas and your thoughts and your visions and writing them down on paper. There's so, and your goals. There've been so many um, books and studies that have shown how successful people in, in almost every industry are people that write their goals down, that write their thoughts down, and jot and tinker with things. And so part of the business plan writing process for me is really taking this vision and these ideas that were in my head and formalizing them, dumping them into one place, and then working with really smart people. I had some really smart people that I work with who I had NDA'd up, you know, who had gone to Harvard Business School to help put the ideas and the vision that I had on paper and then add some structure to it, put statistics alongside of, put numbers in it. And it really began to shape and shape the plan and idea. And many of them were, some of those plans were things that I didn't even understand exactly some of them. They were just ideas and a vision that I had. And uh, and so and ultimately, yeah, it, it it turned into like a, a hundred page deck. A uh, hundred pages. Yeah, the first business plan for the, you know, multi-platform media company was originally 100 pages. And then I wrote a complimentary business plan on a complimentary investment strategy that would sit alongside the media company. And um, yeah, this is something that I worked on on weekends and the evenings throughout the course of a, over a year to you know, post the William Morris Endeavor merger. And I've noticed too with Ryan and many of our interactions and conversations with the beauty, one of the beautiful things about you is I I've remember how many meetings and things we've been a part of where there'll be a term that'll be brought up in a meeting and you'll say, can you tell me what that is? Or yeah. uh, can you explain, <laughs> explain? And and that's what's so, one of the many things that makes you so unique and special it's because most people in our industry pretend like they know these things and act like they know terms. And you're willing to be like, can you tell me what that is? And so I wasn't maybe not as enlightened as you are. So sometimes I would hear things on calls or be in meetings and then I'd write it down and I'd go back and look it up. So I, when I started writing a business plan for Macro, I didn't know the difference between mezzanine, financing, credit, credit, debt, venture capital, private equity. I had no idea 
about the difference between each of these. I'm gonna stop. Yeah. I'm gonna stop you right now because because if I hear a mezzanine, I, I start thinking about seats at a concert. So so what is a mezzanine <laughs> strategy, bro? <laughs> mezzanine financing is it's it's almost like a form of credit. It's not like pure equity, and mm-hmm. it's not like a, a loan or or debt. It's almost somewhere in between. That's why they call it mezzanine. <laughs> okay, like 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 yeah. like literally like the concert or or were you in between yes. the floors? Okay. <laughs> Man, learn uh, something new every, but anyway, every, I just every had conversation to learn. with you. Yeah. yeah. I had to learn a lot of these terms. And then I spent time actually just getting to know people in, in, in the space while also writing the business plan and well in advance of launching the company. So it was to establish these relationships, to understand from getting to know people in the arena so that once I actually launched the company, I could draw upon these relationships. And they weren't people that I was just getting to know once I was out on the playing field. Amazing. When you made that first move, you know, when you left, when you left WME, let everybody know what you were doing. Announcement comes out. How many employees did Macro have? Four full-time employees and then my wife, Stacy, because the King Family Fund financed Macro the first six months. And so Stacy was consulting and very involved in the company for the first uh three years, even though she wasn't full-time until four years ago. Big, big, big love to Stacy. So, so how many employees do y'all have now? It's, it's been eight years? It's been eight years. So we're about at 50 people now and continuing to grow organically. That includes M88. M88 is the joint venture representation firm that we launched just under three years ago that represents a lot of incredible artists and multi-hyphenates and filmmakers and writers, as well as Uncommon, which is a digital influencer representation group that's a sister company to M88. And, and what's that like, going from four employees in Stacy to, to, to 50 people in Macro and, and two partner companies? It's been a beautiful journey. Yes, it's been beautiful to watch uh, the company unfold, but I'd say even more powerful to see the community that's been cultivated, to see other companies that have launched post-macro and have taken an entrepreneurial approach to how they're building their businesses. The artists' careers that have been launched and that have flourished as a result of the company's launch and, and what we've been building not only just the artists, but I'd also say the executive talent and the hundreds of, we've had almost 200 interns that have come through Macro. And wow. we've had so many talent that are now all throughout the industry. And uh, I, I've, that impact that I knew, that I envisioned that Macro would have, it's just been beautiful to see that come to fruition. And I still look at it like we're just getting started. Incredible. And, and, and you know, I'm just bringing us up to date. You left WME, and um, and I think I, I think I was like twisting your arm to, to stay as my manager, <laughs> which 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 I was able to I was able to work out. And when y'all formalized the representation side of y'all business, we was able to make it more official, you know. Um, but I I, I feel uh very secure doing business in the world, knowing that Charles King is still on my on my team, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, along, along with Craig and, and Jonathan and, and Mark and other folks. But um, you had you played a big role in proximity launching, in in terms of you sitting down with, with me and Zizi, ca- kind of making us do this, you know. 
Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had a vision and an idea. I saw, I could clearly see from the first time, that very first meeting that we had in our office, I, I remember telling other people this, and I still do, that I believed that you were going to be one of the most important storytellers and filmmakers of our generation. And this was before you made Fruitvale Station. And this is definitely before you made Creed. And I remember thinking I should have bought stock in Disney when that day you called me and you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm thinking about making Black Panther. But the only thing I would say is this, that's one, everyone's different people have superpowers. One, one, one power of mine is I have the ability to identify talent in others and also to try to do what I can to nurture and advise and just, you know, make sure that it's what, what the beauty of what's there comes to fruition. And so it was all there. It's always been there. I knew also too that what you and Zinzi and Sev were setting out to do and the type of company that you're building, that who you are as people, the opportunity is gonna provide is just far greater than what you yourselves were looking to do. And unfortunately, that is unique in the industry that I came up in. But what's beautiful about where we are now is that there are more like-minded people like yourselves that are less beaten by an older system and are more uplifting of others and recognizing that we can all rise together. And I saw that in you when we first met. So we start proximity and we get the opportunity to work together like immediately. You know, our friend Shaka King, who we worked with, Black Off and Human Rights, and, and filmmaker who I met at the Sundance Film Festival in 2013, had a film there called Newlyweeds, a comedy set in Brooklyn. Spent some time with him, really dug him when we were doing some work around the state sponsoring human rights violations. Black Alpha Human Rights is a, a collective of like-minded folks across different industries and walks of life, but predominantly folks that work in entertainment and, and folks that work in human rights activism. And we were we were formed to combat and raise awareness of uh, state-sponsored human rights violations that happen in um, you know globally, but but specifically in the United States. Luke Shaka in we got to you know Shaka got to know Charles and Zinzi and, and Shaka and I had a close friendship. So I remember, you know, working on Panther. I'm in New York because uh, they're doing a, sc a screening of Creed with the orchestra in Brooklyn. You know, so I, so whenever we in New York, we, Zinzi and I try to stop by Shaka's house, see his parents, and he tells us this idea, <laughs> this idea that that would that would become Judas and the Black Messiah. At that point, it was calling it Jesus was my homeboy, and yes. um, and and I remember thinking like we we didn't Zinzi and I didn't have a company, you know, but I remember thinking, man, I would love to help Shaka make this. And Zinzi and I would talk about it, you know, um, eventually Black Panther comes out. We're starting to figure out proximity. Shaka calls and says, hey, man, I want you all to be involved. I'm going to send you the script. 
He sends me the script. I read it. Zenzi reads it. I immediately send it to Charles. And, I, and I'm like, hey, man, we should, you know, read this. If you like it, we should figure out a way to do this together. And what was, what was so great about what you started with Macro was that you guys had the ability to finance. Because it, it was a movie that we, all, that we knew would be challenging on the surface for, for studios and for the marketplace. But I was just, I just remember thinking like, man, how crazy is this that, 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 that Charles, man, my, my Charles, you know what I'm saying, ha, has this company. <laughs> we can, we can if, if he's interested in doing this, we can walk into to any studio and say, hey, this is what we're thinking. You know, and we have money, you know, like, like we come, we coming in with, with financing. Um, and, and that's what we did, man. I, it was that, that, that part of it was just, I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. That part of it, we never really talked about this, but, but walking into those meetings, man, I felt like I was like walking in like 10 feet tall. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I remember the phone call when you called me, it was about three weeks after the global success of Black Panther. You were on vacation somewhere, I believe. And I was leaving the CAA Oscars party. It was the Friday night before the Oscars. And I'm leaving, it was, must've been midnight and you called. I'm like, what do you, hello? What, what do you, what's going on, Ryan? <laughs> and you said, you got a second? I said, yeah. And you said, look, I know what I wanna do with the next year. And I said, what is that? It's like, I'm gonna build my company. I'm gonna build my company. I wanna utilize the uniqueness of the position that I am. So here it is, you have this global success. You could have done anything in the world. And you said, I'm now gonna launch this company and utilize this power that I have in this moment to launch a company and open up opportunities for others. And then you said, there's a project I think I want to be the first one. And then you said, I'd like to see if you and Macro would be interested in partnering on it. And I, I was like, absolutely. And I remember you sent me the script and the next day, I think I was at the Spirit Awards and you were already hitting me up like a great producer, less than 12 <laughs> hours later saying, have you read it yet? <laughs> and I remember reading it that night and that weekend and being blown away by it and already being a huge fan of Shaka's from the work we did together with Black Off Human Rights and the journey that we went on. It was just so beautiful and powerful, but the power of you also recognizing what it's like for us to come together and for Shaka to recognize that. And I think the power of the three of us going in together, you said you felt like you were 10 feet tall. So did I, because that rec that was like showed unity and power together. And I, th I believe that was part of the, the beauty of the, experience and why the film it was as good as it as it is i believe that judas is going to stand the test of time and it's i'm so incredibly proud of the work we did together on it and i feel like i know our company got better from the process the experience of developing that project with proximity and i think we all learn from one another and i made a great film that i think has really just the impact that it's had, it's just been beautiful, well, just a beautiful experience. Yeah, man, it, it was an amazing experience. I remember just so many crazy stories from, <laughs> <laughs> from like, from like, like me, me, you, Zins, and Shaka, you know, going to see Chairman Fred Jr. for the first time. 
Like oh in, my in, goodness, in yes. Maywood. And I remember, <laughs> man, I can't even to tell this story, man. But I remember, <laughs> I remember the first day we were going to see him. And I think, I think Rosa Clemente, was, she was with chairman. Rosa Clemente is a Puerto Rican-American activist, teacher, academic, politician, <laughs> um, who, was, who was a friend of, uh, of Shaka's and, and, and was a friend of Chairman Fred Hampton Jr., who, who helped us to make the connection um, initially when we were looking for a way to, to sit down with Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. And we went to the Hampton house and Chairman yes. and Rosa weren't there yet. And I, and I, and I remember, <laughs> I remember the sun, <laughs> the sun was going down in Maywood. And, it sure um, was. And an Uber, Uber had let us out. And, and, I, and I, I remember me and Zans were looking at each other. I think Shock was kind of in his phone trying to find where Rosa was. And uh, me and Zans looked at each other and we were looking around. People were coming out. You know what I'm saying? They were looking yes. at they were looking at us like, who are y'all? You know what I mean? Yes. And I remember Charles, you had this big old, this big old backpack <laughs> on that looked like yes. it had like four or five laptops in it, an iPad. <laughs> you was I dressed still carry it. You was dressed real nice. You know what I'm saying? Like you all, like you always are. And I remember me and Zan like just mark. thinking, like, yeah. <laughs> I remember me and Zan just thinking, y'all, we gotta get to like like a coffee shop or somewhere. We gotta get, just get somewhere where we could where we could just sit for a sec and, we, and not just be outside in front of people's houses. You know what I'm saying? And, yes. Um, and 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 I remember at this time, the craziest part about it was the closest place that that made sense was Starbucks. But this was right after the dudes had got arrested at Starbucks. Yeah. Just for just for sitting there. So it was so we was debating over whether or not. The four of us should even like be seen walking into a Starbucks at that time. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, and that was when we we had to like get to a corner. Yeah, we had to get to a corner where we we ducked into a. a it was a restaurant, but behind a bulletproof. It was like yes. a chicken joint that had yeah it had the bulletproof glass, but nobody was in there. Remember, like we, yes. went, we went in, we went in, and we like, hey yo, excuse me, um. And nobody came out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we were like trying to get an Uber to come. And then we were yeah. going to have an Uber take us to Starbucks. And they were like, yeah. oh, but can we go there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the chairman then finally. Yeah. Yeah. Chairman pulled up. Yeah. Chairman pulled up. And we went in the house and met, met with him for the first time. And I, I, I just remember thinking like, yo, this is going to be a crazy movie. <laughs> it, it, never, it never stopped being that. It sure didn't. It was just before... We partnered with WB and and, and Nigel yeah. and stuff. I'm oh yeah, yeah. I believe so. This was this we was before trying, we even got. We were just trying to get their meet get them, the family's blessing. Yeah, get their blessing yeah. before we even took the project out into the market. Holy Toledo, man, man, what what a what a time that um, sure was. And the, and then the the several trips back and forth and spending time with Cherry yes. Fred and Mother Akua and 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 their comrades. Yes, in the yes. room. Some on phones, the vetting yeah, so, process. It was yes. really. I mean, it was it was an incredible experience, man. Like like looking back, I wouldn't change anything for the world. Um, but man, going through it was going through it was intense. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a reason why everyone why everyone that worked so closely on this movie, we're all bonded for life. There were just the uh yeah. the experience of how the film came together. And the the respect and the the, the bonds that were forged, it was uh, yeah for me it was transformative. I remember I remember walking in there that first day and seeing Chairman Fred Jr. and like first and foremost he's a mountain of a man you know what yes. I'm saying like and, and and that's the thing that was such a trip was 
looking at pictures of Chairman Fred Sr., you know, you don't ever think about like how, how big or small he was. These historical figures, you know what I mean? Like, and that's one of the things that we robbed of when these folks are assassinated. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's just them in a physical sense. You know, they, they, they become pictures for, for everybody who's born after their time. And I just remember the size of him. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And then like, and I, and then thinking about his father, like, like you know, and, and you re, you realize his father was a big man. Yeah. You know what I'm, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and he um, walks in, he fills the room, fills he, fills he, the room up. He yeah, fills like, the like, room. Like, Physically and through like through through his persona, you know. Yes. And, and he's super sharp. You know, you realize that he's that he's studying. Like like you know when he's not when he's not talking, he's he's studying. And this was like a you know this was a real meeting, man. It was confrontational. Yes. You know. Absolutely. He was very much like saying like you know how did y'all how did y'all get this far without coming to see me? And, and, you know you know and I and I remember, I remember at one point he pounded the table. Not because he was upset, but he was like getting his point across. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. <laughs> and the whole time. The whole time we there, uh, he feels familiar to me, you know. Like, yeah. and and, I, and I'm thinking this because, like, you know, he looks like his father. You know what I'm saying? I seen seen pictures, but then at one point, man, he's talking and he's getting worked up, and um, it hits me that we met that we had met before. You know, like like we yes. had, that we had, that we had met at the Berkeley flea market. And he had handed me a, a informational pamphlet about the Black Panther Party Cubs, you know, and um, and he remembered you. Yo, we remember we remembered it at the same time, <laughs> you know. What I'm yes. Like, you know? And 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 I and, I, and it, it was one of them things where we had been looking at each other the whole time the same way, like of like, man, where do I know you from? You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it was it was the strangest thing, but also I had so much more respect for him because when I met him. He wasn't there saying, hey, yo, I'm 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 Chairman Fred Hampton's son. I'm I'm not I'm this, I'm not. He was just there working, man. Like handing out pamphlets. He's doing the work. Doing the work, man. Yes. And, and, and I and, I, and I, I think he was by himself. You know, like when I met him, he wasn't alone in Maywood by, by any, and he and he might have had security detail that was like around and I didn't see, you know what I'm saying, at the, at the time. But man, I, like it blew my mind in a way. But also it gave me like, it gave me hope. Like internally, that's like yo, we got to get this done. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the, like the project felt ordained in a way, you know what I'm, you know I, what I'm saying? It sure did. And I remember just the, how he lit up when he, how he lit up when he realized that you guys had met. And I saw not that he was guarded, but I know that they were really assessing us and not trying to understand who we were. Yeah. And then I saw like the light, the light come into his eyes and the, it, it was like an immediate brotherhood bond that was formed with the two of you it was just and we it, it was interesting we we just we watched this unfold and our conversation and it was just clear in there just how much mutual respect and admiration was there and i saw shaka realize it i realized it zenzi did and just it, it was from then on it was like that unique bond that you and chairman fred had that would help bridge the gap of when we had issues or when yeah. we were looking to get their support. And I feel like that was kismet and that was meant to be. That yeah. that was, it's almost like you couldn't even come up with the circumstance nah, around that. Nah, none yes. of them, man. E even, even, even down to our executive, Naja and, and Shaka, they knew each other in college. Yeah. You know, you know, they knew each other in college, man. Like, like, and it wasn't like they went to school together. It was through happenstance that they knew each other. I think through their roommates, you know, you know what I'm saying? But like knew each other well. Well enough that when we walked into Warner Brothers, you know, Shaka and Nyjah had that connection. You know what I mean? And, and and so when you look at it, 
this was a project that had a, a lot of connections in the black community. Yeah. Black yeah. community of entertainers, black community of activism, that even when that project seemed like impossible, you know what I'm saying? And it was a lot of moments, man, where we, where we hit challenges, you know, like, like the pandemic and, you know, having to release the film through HBO Max, the uncertainty. It was always like this feeling that I had, like, yo, I think this was, like, I, I think this is going to work out. So um, Prox Rex, this is the segment where we recommend a book or a piece of advice or a movie to listeners at, at home and just keeping it on topic. My Prox Rex is going to be the book, The Mailroom, <laughs> uh, since we talked a bunch about Charles' time as an agent. Um, this is a very famous book in our, in our industry that talks a little bit about the business from the agency side perspective. Uh, it's, it's known to be a little salacious, <laughs> but, but, um, but, but I, don't, I don't know, Charles, how you feel about that book in terms of somebody, somebody reading about what the Asian life is like? I think that's a great recommendation for anyone that wants to work in the entertainment industry. Talent agencies are, play a big part of it, and you need to understand the history of how the agencies have evolved and what takes place within them. So that's absolutely a great suggestion for, for young folks that want to know more about that industry. And then do I get to recommend one as well? Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, I, there's a book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? And it's a story about Reginald Lewis. And it was a book that I read when I was in law school, thinking about uh, what I would ultimately do with my career. And it's about the first African-American Wall Street titan who built a multi-billion dollar company. And it tells his journey. And uh, it was really inspiring and, and quite compelling. So I would recommend that to any young person looking to forge a path in the business industry. Charles, thank you for, for making time. And I know you got a lot going on. Um, it's apparent to the audience is how much you got going on just by you know talking a little bit about what you do. But I think that uh, our time together was fruitful. I got new insight and things that, that, that are going on with you and your life and a, obviously a profound um gratitude for our relationship in general, but thank you for coming through and being a part of In Proximity. Thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for letting me join you on this podcast and for everything that you, Zenzi, and Sev are building with Proximity. And uh, it was my honor to be here. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Charles, I love you, bro. Thank you for this, man. I love you too, Coop. In Proximity is a production of Proximity Media. If you like the show, be sure to follow, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app, and tell your friends and loved ones to do the same. Seriously, you can do that right now. Send a link to someone who you think might really like this conversation. Learn more and read transcripts of this episode and others at proximitymedia.com. Don't forget to follow at Proximity Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. The show is produced by me, Paula Mardo. Executive producers are Ryan Kugler, Zinzi Kugler, Sevo Hanyan, and me. Our theme song and additional music is composed by Ludwig Gorenson. Ken Nana is our sound designer and mix engineer. Paulina Cherizova is our production assistant. She's also our audio editor for this episode. Special thanks to the whole Proximity Media team and to you for listening to In Proximity. Meet you back here next week.
Oh, is it time? I'll take. I'll Let's make. Go. I'll make the extra time if we need it. I, I, actually, I actually got a heart out, Charles. Great. Okay, so I, it's I, on I got, you then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you're yeah. building a company. You busy. Nah. Yes. 